Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am Mr. Kriegers. I am one of your hosts this evening, I, morning, oh God, afternoon, whenever you you're listening. <laughs> and and I am Miss Moy. I am your other host during any which point in time or space that you are partaking. Ooh, space. I like it. Um, and two night day afternoon <laughs> Weekend. is episode 43 and we are taking a look to to in this episode um at an entire subgenre of the horror film world with a little bit of the horror tv world and maybe a little bit of the horror literature world mm-hmm. as well and this is the first time we've ever tackled an entire subgenre at once and it's kind of very exciting it is um you guys i don't know you may know this you may not know this i'm super into this topic <laughs> <laughs> um and i feel like we've we talked about doing it a couple times probably around halloween specifically and never were able to make it work timing yeah. wise you slash, mean this topic specifically yeah this topic specifically. oh yeah 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 um and we're never because i work. remember Way back when we were planning the podcast before we had even started, one of our ideas was that we would have episodes where we looked at like entire subgenres, mm-hmm. do episodes or even a series of episodes on them. Yeah. So I'm excited that we're doing that too. Um, this is a fascinating topic. It's definitely a topic that I'm really interested in as well. And definitely Miss Mel. Um, a little bit of a drum roll, please. <laughs> The subgenre is yeah. Go move. We'll find some cheap drum roll effect. <laughs> a bit of a is witches. Yes, yeah, so food. Especially because the other day I was, I told Mr. Kruger's right before I went to work. Like I had the TV on in an old episode. Obviously, it was old. Uh, episode of Sabrina was on, and it was a Halloween episode specifically. Oh, I love the Sabrina Halloween ones. So um. It was great. I was like, oh, this is, and that was like when we decided to do this. We we're like, oh, like, let's do this. And I was like, oh, this is so, the Sabrina and everyone is just smiling on us. It was a sign. It was. From Manon. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, as a child, I was super obsessed with the animatronic, clearly puppet Salem. Um, oh, yeah. Well, who wasn't? Also, like, I think we've all come to realize as adults that we are Salem. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I urge you to accept me as your ruler. Very curious how he'll be handled in the Sabrina reboot. Yeah, I was like, if he's not a clearly puppet cat, then there's. And it's like, am I even interested? Am I even interested? Well, that was like the Sabrina, the the animated series for a little bit. Yeah. I was like, I'm less interested because he's such an obvious cat cat. That's fun. I want a fake cat. Um, and I want a cat that in one scene is an actual cat. And then when they need him to talk and need a close-up, they cut to a puppet. <laughs> um, yes, that's exciting. But before we it get into exciting. that, we have to do the horror headlines. Exactly right. Yes, and I have one that I share with Mr. Kregers right before doing this, because I wanted to make sure it was a headline and not me just finding it out for the first time. It and is me finding it out yes. for the first time. It is Mr. Kroger's finding out for the first time. Others of you might have known about this already. I don't know, but from what from what you were saying, it seems like the news just broke this morning, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, so uh, IndieWire 
put up a article this afternoon um, or this morning, depending on your time zone, um, about Robert Eagers doing what they call a follow-up to The Witch called The Lighthouse. Um, it's not clear if it, like, if it is a follow-up follow-up, like, it is in the same mm-hmm. universe, like, what they mean by follow-up. The only thing we know about it is that it's set in 1890. Um, it's going to deal with, like, um, like, ocean sea mythology. Um, it's yeah. described as a fantasy <laughs> horror. <laughs> that's very Craigers. <laughs> It's described as a fantasy horror film, um, and it's going to be shot in 35 millimeter black and white. Oh my god! It's just what what don't I love about this movie already? <laughs> I said a lot of words in succession to each other that Mr. Craigers is just like I about. already love this. Like I think I'm biased. I don't know if we'll be able to review it on the show because I think I already love it. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to be objective. He might have like <laughs> produced and written and directed this film. Like it might actually be him in a like a uh, Jekyll and Hyde situation. Twist. Um, but yeah, that's all that's- we know about it though is that it's happening and this is how it's happening. That's happening and it's called the Lighthouse. You yes, said. the Lighthouse. Ah, wonderful. Um. And, you know, this is timely and fortuitous news, considering The Witch will be discussed uh, on the podcast, so. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's my horror headline. (coughs) Um, Yeah, lots going on that I've seen in the world of horror. Lots of news popping up here and there. Um, Just a couple, like, small things. Nothing necessarily earth-shattering. Apparently, they are reshooting the ending to the new Halloween movie. Hmm. Something about Jamie Lee Curtis having to go back on set for that. Um, a lot of people are very upset at the uh, um, Fox's slaughtering of shows. Right. <laughs> Several of the victims include um, sort of, you know, horror shows that had kind of a cult following. Uh, Lucifer and The Exorcist mm-hmm. was canceled. Um, and their their fans are very, very upset. I haven't gotten around to watching either of them. I don't particularly have an interest in Lucifer, but I've heard that The Exorcist is actually decent. Yeah, I almost watched it today, actually, in my exploration of Hulu. Um, I ended up watching BuzzFeed Unsolved for a lot of the afternoon instead, but I almost watched it. <laughs> almost. Almost. So that's going on. I also just wanted to say as a personal horror headline that I saw A Quiet Place last night. Oh. With Miss Eric. Um, Tell us real quick. I know I know, we're kind of late. I have deeper thoughts that you and I need to discuss about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, overall, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice. It was fun to get a horror film that sort of had that like heart to it Mm -hmm. that um, a lot of like, you know, Stephen King horror has. Yes. Um, While still being a horror film that I feel like is a part of the, this slew of films that is very much reinventing the genre that is very much going to be like one of the staple horror films of the 2010s. Like I'm like, I put it in the same group that's doing this sort of work with um, Get Out, The Babadook, yeah. Follows. I saw um, this getting put on, on lists with 
um, Get Out and Don't Breathe uh, yeah. when it first came out. And sort of this this chunk of horror films, primarily from the later 2010s, that I think have been doing a lot of really interesting, fun work. Yeah. A so lot I, of social, I, I, a lot of social work going yes. on in there. And I, um, I, I thought the social commentary was really interesting. Um, the John Krasinski's use of the mise-en-scene. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. Um, and the actress who played his daughter was actually a deaf actress. It was not an yes. actress pretending to be deaf. Mill Millicent something? I knew it started with an M. And I almost wanted to say Millie, but then I thought, no, am I just confusing her with Millie Bobby Brown? Millie Bobby Brown. Which is interesting because I thought the creatures in A Quiet Place look like the Demogorgon. A little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, no, so I liked it a lot. My one... No, I don't even want to call it a criticism, but I guess it's just like a point of discussion in terms of like the writing mm -hmm. is the scenes where there is sound and they do use dialogue. I don't think were effective in the dialogue that they were using because I felt Waterfalls. like, well, so this is my thing, right? Like overall the conversation they're having and the theme of it, I get it. Like yeah. what they're saying is important. I just felt like the dialogue in all those scenes was not as strong as it should have been because it's like okay this is a movie where they all have to be silent so when they say things like make it matter make it pop. but it was all very bland kind of run-of-the-mill dialogue especially because the second time they have a conversation um in the in the basement um later in the film like one of the lines is from um what's her face john krasinski's wife Blunt. <clears throat> for some reason I would say Elizabeth Moss for a second I was like no because I can imagine her <laughs> in the handmaid's tale right now and I know that's not the same person uh, Emily Blunt when she like basically one of her lines is just repeating she's like you have to protect them you have to you have to and I was like why is that what you're wasting your dialogue moments on mm. um, so that was just my one big criticism is that the dialogue the two main dialogue scenes I felt like just weren't didn't pop as much as I would have liked them to yeah, but um, I could see that. I could see that argument. Yeah, but no, like the rest of the movie, I think was very solid. Um, yeah, it was it made very me well tense done. in the theater. Like somebody was eating bunch of crunch, and I was like, "Shut up!" I like guys. I was pretty sure I was going to send Mr. Eric back to the hospital <laughs> by because I broke his hand. <laughs> that was, it was so tense. It was. I mean. I, I wasn't, but, like, I was very close to truly, like, physically being on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Was the use of their, they know, the tension was great. Yeah. It was great. No, it was very good, and the entire opening sequence is incredible. Like, just very well done. I oh, think that, yeah. that was one of the, like, the best opening sequences <laughs> I've seen in I have to tell time. you, I have to tell you something I, I've, I've thought of. I can't say it now because it's a spoiler in, in case any listeners haven't seen it yet uh, but just make sure remind me make sure i don't forget um, siri oh um, a reminder so um oh i also just super super quickly just want to say um in the world of true crime i recently binged netflix's american vandal <clears throat> which if you haven't heard of it and a lot of people haven't because it's flown totally under the radar it is a six or eight episode, I can't remember, um, true crime documentary parody. And it, and it is a satire 
of the recent, um, you know, boom in interest in true crime. Um, it satirizes serial and making a murderer and the jinx and sort of all of these things that we've consumed so eagerly over the last couple of years. And it's um, the story of a high school teacher's parking lot that gets um, vandalized. All the teacher's cars are spray painted with dicks. And <laughs> you know, I went to Target the other day and somebody <laughs> with their water bottle had made a bunch of dicks in the parking lot, like squirted water in the shape well, of dicks. That's essentially the premise to American Vandal. And these two like AV students decide to make this documentary and see if the accused kid is actually guilty or not. And it is so funny. And if you're a true crime obsessive, it's like, I wish I had done that. I wish I had thought of that. Because that sounds incredible. It's very clever. I highly recommend it. It's really funny, but like halfway through, you realize that you're also really invested in like finding out who drew the dicks. (laughs) I want to know who drew dicks. Like, who did it? You start coming up with theories. It's great. Um, That's good because I binged a lot of my BuzzFeed Unsolved afternoon. There was a lot of true crime and I was telling Mr. Kregers, go Google the Isdal woman. Just Google it and tell me that isn't the most fucked up weird thing you've ever read. I'm going to leave that to you. I'm not going to sit here. If I go down that rabbit hole too much, we're going to have to do an episode about it. (laughs) No, we might because it's crazy. Um, It's too long to explain. So just Google it and you'll see what I mean. Um, but yeah, so them's the horror headlines. Getting the into headlines. witchcraft. So how to introduce witchcraft? So um A definition of witchcraft. <laughs> Oxford's dictionary defines, defines witches as as yeah. I mean do you want I could I actually like I could read Wikipedia's opening bit here for it yeah, is witchcraft for it. or witchery which is a very fun word we should be using mm-hmm. that a lot more uh, broadly means the practice of and belief in magical skills and abilities exercised by solitary practitioners and groups witchcraft is a broad term that varies culturally and societally and thus can be difficult to define with precision therefore cross-cultural assumptions about the meaning and significance of the term should be applied with caution witchcraft often occupies a religious divinatory or medicinal role and is often present within societies or groups whose cultural framework includes magic a magical worldview is how Wikipedia describes it in so many adjectives. Right? Yeah, I felt like that was a sentence of a lot of adjectives. There was a lot of adjectives in there, which is fine, Um, I suppose. So witchcraft and and witches. I mean, we're all familiar, right, with with the idea. In, In one sense or another, the figure of the witch, I feel like, is something that you're introduced to at a very young age. Yes. Even if, you know, just kind of that Wicked Witch of the East version. I mean, yeah, with the, 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 the um, a, a pointy tights, black hat the and tights and a broom. Yeah. Well, Wicked Witch of the West had the broom. Wicked Witch of the East had the tights. I said West. You said East. Did I? Yeah. It's okay, though. I was going to go with it, but... <sighs> But then it got beyond my the scope I of my, con- my eyes. <laughs> it got beyond the scope of my controls. <laughs> it spiraled. Um, now, so in terms of horror, the witch 
and witchcraft, I feel like is a really interesting subgenre or monster in horror because it's not one of those monsters that sort of is consistently used Mm -hmm. throughout the history of horror films, right? Like the vampire, like you can, you can drop yourself in any decade and find a vampire film. Find yourself a good old vampire film. Yeah. But the witch I feel like is more of like something that goes in circle, like our cycles Mm -hmm. almost of interest. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, vampires do to a certain extent, but you're right. Like, every decade has several prominent, I feel like, or somewhat prominent exactly. vampire um, media of some, to some extent. Like, The Witch, it's like, it very much, you can pick out periods where, especially in, the, in like, the late 19th century, where it just became super, a super popular um, subject in things like that. Yeah. So, what is it about witches? What is it that films about witches are trying to say through the years? Has that message changed? Um, why are we fascinated with them? Um, and maybe what is the, the recent kind of obsession with witchcraft? What is that tied into? I think that's what Miss Mel and I are going to try yes. to tease apart a little bit in... The coming hour, hour and a half or so. Yes. I talk about this in my head to myself all day long, so I'm so excited to, <laughs> to at least one other person. So excited. I'll, I'll also just take this moment to say that um, when we decided to do this as the episode, I was kind of um, inspired to do something new with the blog. And so I'm going to be doing a series of blog posts um, where I'm going to tackle, um, like very bare bones history of different subgenres in horror. And I'm going to, and I'm going to start with the witch and witchcraft subgenre. And I'm going to put that post up when this episode goes up. Um, oh. and that'll be a bit more sort of fact based, um, with, with a little bit of analyzing, but not quite as much as I think we're going to do here. This but, is the this is the meat and potatoes. That's the spark. The gravy. Yeah. Yeah. The gravy. Uh, You'll appreciate that. that Gaga's restaurant has gravy on the menu. <laughs> Remember that time when you brought us gravy? Gravy. Um, gravy yeah. means something different to Italian families. I learned. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, my sister's Italian, so you think I would have known that? But here we are, kids. <laughs> well now you know now that you're going to joanne you'll mm-hmm. know the proper <laughs> i won't get thrown out like you get embarrassed wanted to you want to throw me yourself. out of my own apartment <laughs> because you're yeah. mad about the gravy get out <laughs> um but yes witchcraft uh, so i guess all that to say um i think maybe we'll start at the beginning real quick and at then the beginning of time in babylon no <laughs> the beginning of time in the beginning, there was a In the a witch. book of Genesis, which first appeared. God said, let there be light, and a witch showed up, and he was like, why? Actually, depending on, on your readings, you could probably make a case for Lilith. We do not have time to go into this Lilith <laughs> <Okay>. bullshit. <laughs> I like that you knew where I was going. Before. I didn't even need you to say it. I knew who you were talking about. <laughs> you, uh, you're lucky you don't watch Supernatural. You would be furious how I they did Lilith. Would be. 
So uh, Google that too, kids. Although you should know who Lilith is at this point. But like Google that too, I guess. I and know. not Lilith Fair. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So um, well, let's talk real quick about uh, Benjamin Christensen's 1922 film Hacksaw, a.k.a. Witchcraft Through the Ages. Yes, it is so weird, guys. <laughs> it is really weird, you guys. It was, like I said, 1922. Um, it was a weird year. <laughs> 21. I can't remember. Um, regardless, it was the very first film to ever deal with witches proper as the subject matter. Um, in the history the of... title would... <coughs> of, of movies. And, of course, movies are only about... 26, 27 years old at this point. <laughs> There's a BuzzFeed Unsolved. This is going to be the whole episode. There was a BuzzFeed Unsolved. It's just constant circling back to BuzzFeed Unsolved. How many BuzzFeed Unsolved did you watch? There's six seasons of them. There's a BuzzFeed Unsolved of um about the creation of movies and about how Thomas Edison stole it from a guy who literally vanished off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> real shady. We should be talking about that, too. Anyway. <laughs> more than we are. <laughs> more than we are. Why is nobody talking about this? Anyway. Hacksaw <laughs> came out in 1921 or 22. Or 22. Um, early days. Early days. And Hacksaw is... Um, framed as a lecture style documentary that begins with charting the history of witchcraft as portrayed in art and religion and literature. This is such a meta thing for the 20s. Like it's a meta thing now in the 1920s. It would have itself been witchcraft in their brains. And it it does all it's kind of started all these documentary tricks, right? There were there's reenactments um in in many of the sections and <clears throat> were were shown um how witches were perceived in uh the early Middle Ages. We're seeing we we're seeing how witches are perceived in the Renaissance. We're shown how witches are perceived, you know, in uh Post-Renaissance. What do you call that? <laughs> Just the post-Renaissance. Post-Renaissance. Isn't everything post-Renaissance? Every, everything is post-Renaissance. So even it's it's even into the future <laughs> by their standards. It's right now. They show witches right now. But um, when it's black and white film. <laughs> in this black and white film. Yeah. And so what's really interesting, though, is that the point of Hacksaw when you're kind of looking at it and analyzing it, is that it's meant to essentially clear up misconceptions mm-hmm. about what witchcraft is, which is a really bizarre, I think, origin for the topic of witchcraft and film and really bizarre for a film in the 1920s to do something. Yeah, like. no, everything about this film is bizarre about the time period. It is witchcraft in and of itself that this film came out in the 1920s. Um, if you couldn't even tell just from like the description of it, like it's a super postmodern, post postmodern 
film. Like, if it came out today, we'd say, yes, of course. In the 1920s, this is the most bizarre thing you could show a group of... Like, this isn't even like, oh, like, yeah, like, you know, like, the independent art house scene. Like, that didn't exist yet, really. Like, this wasn't a thing. Like, so to, like, spend the money and the time and the effort, because, you know, keep in mind, like, we weren't crapping films back then the way we are today. Exactly. On something like this is just so bizarre and then to take this this concept which you know we're not that far removed from like the 19th century where you know we all had horses and buggies still like you know to take this concept of something that is considered you know evil by most western theological standards for the majority of history up until like maybe 20 30 years before this film was created yeah it's super interesting like the every like just it's this movie is so strange. I love it. It's on Criterion, kids, if you want to buy it. Yeah. It's... And, and, and... And, you know, I'm kind of a weird moviegoer. But the average... An average moviegoer usually doesn't seek out films from the 1920s, right? Yeah. But Hacksaw is actually really good. Yeah. And it's, it's entertaining. Even if you want to put it on in the background of your Halloween party, like (laughs) I think I'm pretty sure that you and I have been to a Halloween party where it was on. Where it was on in the background, and we were like, we were like, oh, let's sit and watch it. Never. We were like, is that hacks on? I was just like, oh, like I thought this was like the stock Halloween footage channel on YouTube. (laughs) Um. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy, and I'm so happy that it survived up until this point. Yes. Now I feel like we're at a point where we can take the lens, because it's one of those things, and I know this is such a cliche, but to say, like, you know, it was super ahead of its time, Yeah, this was, like, a hundred years ahead of its time. Like, we're mm. at the point now where we can look at that and talk about it probably in a way that it was intended to be talked about, right? Um, Just because it's, like this movie comes out and you don't see like it's not like it started a wave of documentary type films like no that like it comes no, out and not at all that doesn't come back up again until like the late 80s with um was it the late 80s or the late 70s cannibal holocaust late 70s late 70s with cannibal holocaust which is the first time we really like as a society returned to the fake documentary style of filmmaking granted Haxon was attempting to say a lot, something a lot more like academic than cannibal holocaust was but you know but what's interesting you bringing up cannibal holocaust now i'm kind of thinking of like the parallels between the two is that um they were both banned and there was a lot of controversy surrounding both of them hexon was one of the first films to be universally um Banned in countries and states. There was a lot of controversy surrounding Hacksaw because a lot of people sort of missed the point and they thought that it was. Um, they were watching Satan himself on film. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, which, fun fact, Benjamin Christensen, the director, plays the devil. Yeah, I was going to say, the devil does show up in the film. <laughs> he does show up. Um, the witches kiss his, his bottom Same. a lot in the one segment, which I think My freaked night. a lot of people. Um, but you, you, you almost kind of wonder, like, were people freaking out and was it so controversial because like they didn't understand it or was it, or was it because they did understand it and that's what was so upsetting? See, that's what's so, 
you know, thinking back, like, you know, because we can never put ourselves in that mindset, right? Like, we can think, you know, what they were probably thinking, but at that time, you know, movies were such a, were still kind of a new concept, right? Like, it, it was a, a, you know, the first, the first um, Louis the Prince film came out in 1888, and the first yes. Edison one came out in 1894, uh yes so you know that's six. six yeah so you know that's like about 30 years give or take between the invention of this entirely new medium and this crazy film that basically you know took 30 years worth of technology and said this is what i'm gonna do with it so it's right. like i'm trying to imagine something for us now that we could compare it to it's like you know somebody took you know, the concept of making everything smart and a smartphone and a smartwatch and, like, I don't know, like, created <coughs> a... I don't know. Maybe, like, our minds are just at a point right now where nothing surprises us technologically. Like, it's hard for me to come up with an analog. I feel like... Well, and I feel like it's so hard. I feel like that's good and that's really close. Yeah. Like, that's probably what I would use, too. But I think it's really hard for us, though, because, like, the smartphone, like it was sort of just an evolution of technology, right? Yeah. But, like, film yeah. and cinema was an entire yeah. new media. And, like, we can't... That's our, our, yeah, because even podcasts are, just a, podcasts are just podcasts a recreation just, of radio. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's we new radio. Yeah, so I'm trying to think. We haven't invented a new medium in a basically since film, I would since say. Since film. Since, since since 1887, 88. So it's very hard to conceive of what that must have been like. Like for people who spent their, but many of them probably, you know, because think about it, like, you know, your parents trying to learn iPads. Imagine your parents trying to understand a film. Like the, the people who have read books for their entire life and looked at photographs now are looking at, you know, a combination of the two happening in front of them. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's like the, um, uh, if you ever study film or you know a little bit about film, um, the first film, um, or one of the first films to ever be shown. Oh, I love this uh, story. It's called, um, Arrival of a Train at La Ciudad. La Ciudad was a, uh, station. A film. And it's, it's exactly as most films were titled back then. It's just exactly as the title describes. That's all that happens. It's footage of a train pulling into the station um, with, you know, coming towards the camera. And when the film was screened, audiences thought a train was actually coming at them and that it was and that it was going to come through the screen and run them over. And they freaked out. And there were reports of audiences running away and fainting and screaming and stuff or whatever. So just try and wrap your minds around something so yeah. new and visionary like that, that it would freak you out that much or that you would not fully grasp the medium itself that you were experiencing. Essentially, it might be like, honestly, just <sighs> seeing aliens at this point. Like, maybe yeah. not quite that extreme and that quite existential, but it, that shocking. Yeah. Um, that you could make a picture move. You know, and it's so... You know, 30 years ago, they invented the moving picture. The movies, as some the might movies. call them. Um, 
you know, and then this person just completely jumps a hundred years academically, culturally into the future to to create Haxon. Like that's insane. Like is this is something that super- should have come out in like 2016. <laughs> mm-hmm. But instead came out, you know, a hundred years before it could probably be appreciated in, in the 1920s. And it very much wasn't. Um, so, so take all that into consideration. This is where witchcraft in, in cinema begins. This is, this is the first time it's ever portrayed truly on screen. Um, Benjamin Christensen, it was a Swedish film. And I think the one note to take away is that the first portrayal of witches in film is not meant to terrify us, but to re-educate us on our conceptions of witchcraft, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, no, anyone who has, you know, even the slightest interest in, um, you know, in witch media or even horror in general, like, this is very much, like, a must-watch. Yes. Just because of all all the things it tries to do, where it's places physically, like, chronologically in history. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... I can't, there's nothing else I can compare hacks on to. <laughs> no, that's a really good point that you, that you bring that up. I think if you, yeah, if you want to call yourself like a serious horror fan, not just a casual viewer, then you have to have hacks on on your resume. You have to have seen it. Yeah. And it is, as I said, on Criterion in Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. It survived all these years. Not be unhappy if I were to own that. Right. I, I, I mean, I can still buy it. Nothing is stopping me from has, buying it. I bet it has great special features. Yeah, I was looking at it. It had some, some um, obviously not commentary from the creators, but um, <laughs> like academic commentary and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely like sit yourself down, get yourself some popcorn and probably a drink. Yeah. And just emotionally, mentally prepare yourself. Um, but no, have a ball. <laughs> I know. Literally, it's so much fun, and it's like, oh wow! Like, and keep reminding yourself, this came out in the nineteen twenties. Nineteen twenties. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's not that long. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, it's it's just you have to start with it. Well, maybe you know you're you're past the point where you can start with it. You need to at least view it, like you said. You need to view it exactly right. Um, so let's, well, well, I know where I would jump to next after this. Then take us there. Um, I would take us to the 1930s, Mm. um, with the most famous cultural depiction of a witch to the point where to this day, if you picture a witch, this is who you picture. This is who you picture. (laughs) And it is, I believe it was 1938. Nine. Nine. Damn it, I knew I was confusing it with Snow White. Um, 1939. Oh, Snow White is 37. I knew that as I was saying it, too. (laughs) But I was hoping we could just breeze past it. (laughs) I didn't let you. Oh, it's all ruined. 1939's The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Uh, And I am obviously referring to um, (laughs) the Wicked Witch of the West. Of Um, course. 
Wicked Witch of the East, like, as Mr. Craggers pointed out, does show up in here. Um, but Wicked Witch of the West is the person. Oh, she does. She does show up. That's who Dorothy sees in the tornado. Yes. Um, yes. But the a lot of people of the think West. that's the Wicked Witch of the West. It's not the Wicked Witch of the West. It's the Wicked Witch it's of the East. It's Nessa Rose. That's it's something Nessa entirely Rose. different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, so Wicked Witch of the West. And again, trying to think about this in terms of context. Everything that you picture, like, about um, witches and, like, the brooms and the hats and the cultural, like, iconography of them comes from The Wizard of Oz. Like, this is the invention of that imagery. Like, it goes back to that. Um, you know, before this time, you know, we didn't have the, the peaked hats and stuff. Um, so that's, you know, a metric of how big this film was for kind of instilling a cultural idea of what a witch was so you can also imagine how must, weird it must have been <laughs> the first time watching it in um, 1939 in 1939 having no cultural like primer the way we do now because we're like of course a witch has green skin and a ward on her nose and a peaked hat and this flying on a broom in 1939 that would have been totally bizarre they were literally like what the fuck are you talking about yeah because at that time the idea of the witch in the only manner, thing yeah, the only thing was that a witch had a broom and that mm-hmm. she could fly on. Mm-hmm. That's it. Everything else. No, yeah. no peak hats, no dressed in black, no green, no warts. This was all new territory yeah. in 1939. Um, so, and of um, course, obviously, yeah, like Miss Mel said, this image... Of the Wicked Witch of the West. When you think of a witch, you think of the Wicked Witch of the West. Like, that's, you do. You think of the amazing Margaret Hamilton. Oh, um, and that it carried through decades and decades, and it still carries through now. I mean, every um, generic witch costume, every um, you know paper dollar store decoration that your third grade teacher put up at Halloween – um, Witch Hazel from Looney Tunes, like everything goes back to the Wicked Witch of the West. Witch of the West, 1939. Um, essentially, you know, every, you all know the story, I hope. Probably. I don't know where you're listening from. Um, you know, but so essentially the Wicked Witch of the West is, as she's mentioned, she's this witch in this land of Oz who controls the western half of the country and is feared by all. And her sister, the Wicked Witch of the East, gets smashed by a house. Um, and then there's, interestingly enough, though, we've got Glinda, the Good Witch of the North, right? So, like, there's, I don't know the, the cultural timeline here on the idea of, like, the White Witch and all that sort of thing. I know it's older than we think it is. Um, I think in terms of, like, it's interesting because in, I feel like in terms of public knowledge, mm-hmm. In the 30s, the idea of a white witch would have been very foreign. Yeah. It has, I don't know for sure. It's but. something that has existed for more than, you know, like Stevie Nicks, right? Like, it's... Oh, sure, 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 It's sure. not something new. Um, no. But, um, you know, even back then, like, taking hacks on the consideration <coughs> and, you know, the entire culture of the United States leading up to this point, the idea of a good witch... Um, isn't super duper a, um, a pre-known or accepted thing, right? Because, you know, Dorothy shows up and, you know, Glinda's like, are you good witch or a bad witch? And she's like, I'm not a witch at all. I'm from Kansas. Um, so, you know, you've got this good witch and then you've got 
your literal storybook witch. Um, which is interesting because Glinda, I feel like, in a lot of commentaries, gets assigned different names. Like, obviously her name is Glinda the Good Witch, but she gets assigned names like Sorceress and all these other things that are less, um, have less negative connotations yes. to them. I think there was, and if you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but after, in the, in the book series, um, after the first book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz... Mm-hmm. I believe Glinda was no longer referred to as a witch. I think she's ref- like she's referred to as a sorceress. The term sorceress does come in up in an attempt to, yeah. you know, s- position her as a user of magic, yeah, in a positive way. Whereas a witch is something negative. The the term sorceress <clears throat> and sorcerer like come up in later books in that series. I didn't read all the way into the series. I do believe you are correct. I like would have to check, but pretty I'm sure willing to run with that theory for right yeah. now. <laughs> because, and that is because of the biblical connotation of the word, yes. witch, which Lilith. is connected to a pact with the devil. Yes. Um, which is traditionally believed as to how a witch gains her power. Indeed. Um, she signs, uh, she or signs, she makes she makes an agreement of some kind. I didn't sign my name in this book. We were yeah. only dancing for sport. For sport. As they all said. Um, so yes, we've got the storybook um, depiction of a witch. Or what will become the storybook depiction of a witch later on. Um, you know, and it's great, like, watching Margaret Hamilton interviews about how she said this is, like, one of her favorite roles. And she, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. scared her grandchildren later in life yes and we were and she would terrified. come back and do halloween tv specials yeah. as the wicked witch yeah no she enjoyed it as much you as you can we find did. them on youtube um you know and she famously got hurt in the one scene because her makeup was she made of did. copper and it caught on fire during one of her trapdoor escapes um but basically, the representation. And then she came back to set the next day. Yeah, she was like, "Oh, I'm back. It's fine. It's great." She was like, "She's like, um, just don't let me on this, fire." I, she's like, "I was on the call sheet. This <laughs> is my job. Like, I'm gonna do I'm my." I'm here job. for my 5 a.m. Um, makeup call. And they were like, "Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> Need a bandaid for those blisters." Um, so yeah, um, it's just you know. It's a great thing, but basically, you know, again, all everyone knows this depiction. Of um, you know, like the bubbling cauldron mm-hmm. and the witch running around in in a black in a dark castle and in a dark yeah that dark castle up on a mountain and she's spying through her her glass her crystal ball and all this other and stuff. She's ugly. She's ugly. She's green. She's got a wart on her face. She you know <coughs> just all of it is a super negative thing, but it you know and it, it feeds into like how you picture a witch today. Like, this has nothing to do with, like, the history of witchcraft and the history of paganism and mysticism and all the sort of spiritual elements that go into the idea of witchcraft. This is just plain old, like, American 20th century film witchcraft. witchcraft. Um, This is how they imagined it, with the spells and the flying, crazy flying monkeys that was horrifying, the the winky bards. So scary. The marching winky guards with their creepy, like, just, it's all very horrifying. Can we do a quick sidebar about the whole, the rumor about, are they saying nonsense or is this what they're actually saying? They're saying nonsense. 
they're saying nonsense. Yeah. A lot of people have heard the Winky Guards saying a lot of things. My father even fought me on it at one point because a lot of people hear they're saying, we owe, we we owe owe to her. All we own, we owe her. They're not saying that. They're literally just saying blah, blah, blah. Like they're saying, it's just, it's just like a chant. Yeah. That's all. Um, yeah. And like the water thing is the water. That is, I think, possibly the biggest thing to come out of yes. the Wizard of Oz portrayal of a witch. So a couple of things with witches and water leading up to this point. Obviously, the, the connotation, the idea of holy water, right, falls into this. One of the most ridiculous things um, that... I know exactly what you're going to say. Amongst about. ridiculous things of this time, one of the more ridiculous to come out of the Salem witch trials... And general witch hunting is how to test if one is a witch. Which essentially, if you are not a witch, is going to end in you drowning. But don't worry, you're not a witch. If you survive, then you're going to be hanged because you're a witch. Essentially, it's, again, something we all probably know. If you float, you're a witch. (coughs) Right. If you drown, well, you were human. Well, you were innocent, but now you're dead. Yeah. Um, Tough shit. So I think that, you know, even subconsciously is maybe where the water thing comes from. I think so. Um, and and I think you're right with the, the connotation of holy water. Yeah. Just the idea of water, water metaphors in general as being yeah. sort of cleansing. Which is not specifically experience. said in The Wizard of Oz because it's no. all water that can harm the witch. But I feel like that's the implication. And I think yeah. audiences of the time would have taken that away. Taken, yeah, that it's holy waters or just all water is holy or cleansing in some way. And the witch is dirty right. and evil. And she Because you have to think America in 1939 yeah. is, we're not. We're just about to leave the Great Depression, but we're still in the Great Depression, yeah. which saw you know a, a huge spike in um, in traditional uh, religiosity. And so, we're about to enter into the 1950s, which is possibly the biggest spike in traditional religiosity in um, reaction to the rise of communism, which outlaws state religion. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is primed to be in a spot where audiences are going to look at it and say. Holy water, religious connotation. But what's interesting, and I wonder if we want to take maybe just a minute or two to talk about this. And and I don't I don't know that I have a theory, but maybe we can kind of hash it out together. Mm-hmm. We don't really have any major representation of witchcraft in the 1940s and the 1950s on film. I can't. I yeah. No, I can't think of one. Do you, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know that I have an answer, but like, why do you think that is? So the closest <clears throat> thing we get to that in the forties and fifties and even into the sixties is Disney films and the portrayal of them as villains. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're minor. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, they're evil. Minor and, they're, and they're not advancing. The no, narrative. they're not advancing. It's like the evil stepmother who practices magic. Like we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know, cause I wrote a paper um, in my f- my freshman film class in college on specifically on the 1950s and its um, impact on specifically looking it was specifically looking at animated films but we can apply this to anything basically the 1950s 
the entire thing was a reaction to communism. And I don't mean communism in the sense that like everyone's like, oh man, the Red Scare. Like you have to think about it in terms no, of no, culture. No. Like yes. what communism meant to America. Like this was a group of people who believed in common ownership, who believed in in lack of religion across the state, all these things that were, you know, for the most part, opposite to American ideals. So in response, you know, the average American citizen upped their, you know, what they were doing. Like culture across the board was like, this is what they're doing over here. That's the opposite we're of what do we do. We're going to do it times opposite. 10. So that's why you've got all these things where it's like, the 50s really tried to get keep women in the kitchen and keep women doing this and that and really pushed religion and traditional families and nuclear families and all this other stuff. So I feel like, you know, the portrayal of witches, like whether they, you know, appear in Haxon as like, you know, this academic commentary or even in The Wizard of Oz where you've got the negative connotation, like all of it just doesn't jive with the fact that we're trying to portray total american values across the board that's my cat i don't know if you can hear him <sighs> yeah <laughs> i thought i'd acknowledge it but you know i that's my one theory as to why we don't see any real witchcraft between like the next two or three decades is just mm -hmm. because we're so focused on pushing the positive aspects of american forward. values forward yeah. i mean the closest you get is the crucible and look how that was received and even then, the Crucible was written and viewed as allegory. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. I think that's true. I think... I think that's probably pretty accurate. You know, in the 40s... And this is, you know, part of the conversation of what horror looks like in the 40s in general... But a lot of, there was enough real world evil going on and mm -hmm. occupying everybody's time in the 40s. And so horror cinema in the 40s takes a very specific sort of look Yeah. that I don't think the figure of the witch would have fit into well. Yeah. And of course, in the 50s, um, it was uh, the, the great idea that um, now everything's okay and now we're going to get back to normal and actually we're going to be even better than normal. We're going to be really, really great. And, oh, I guess there's that pesky communism. Maybe we have to worry about that. Maybe that causes us a little bit of fear. And that fear is um, manifested very specifically in 50s horror movies, which yeah. are often a horror sci-fi hybrid. And I just, it didn't, it, there's not really a place for the witch because it's not, you know, horror, I, I truly feel is always a reflection of the fear of the times, right? And the fear of the decade, there's, you can chart that very clearly when you look at the history of horror cinema and it's whatever's going to best convey that fear on screen. Yeah. And for various reasons in the forties and fifties, it wasn't the witch. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, everything you just said, like, that's it, right? Like, it totally plays into it. And that's why I feel like people really need to examine that period of culture more than they do. Because just saying, oh, the Red Scare. Like, I agree. No, it's so much more nuanced than that in the way it just yeah, bled it itself into everything. And, like, all the fears associated with it. It wasn't just, oh, man, communism. It was, like, everything that communism entailed um, down to, like, 
you know the the complete microscopic level of like you waking up in the morning in your family house like that's that's how much it it was pervasive in in the psyche of that time um and that's probably why we don't see witches because you know that doesn't fit in with what was trying to be promoted at the time at the time now in the 1960s we start to get very interesting portrayals of witchcraft on screen. The decade starts with a very interesting, one of my favorite films, uh, Black Sunday, Ooh. which is the directorial debut of um, Mario Bava, who is considered one of the masters of horror. Um, he's an Italian director, so um, a lot of casual horror fans uh, don't know his name, but you might know some of his films. Uh, his very first film, Black Sunday, is about uh, a witch who, in um, the 1600s, she is betrayed and executed by her brother. And then 200 years later, she returns to get revenge on his descendants. And it's sort of the very first, I think, instance where we're getting a a film about witchcraft that focuses or starts to sensationalize like the gruesome side of the occult. Um, And there's a really interesting moment where what Bava does is that he sort of intertwines witches and vampires Hmm. as one sort of combined entity. Um, there's a lot of blood drinking that goes down and all that. Uh, same but, again. <laughs> again, same. But I think that's where we get our our first glimpse of what I think is like the second cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is on film. And this theme of revenge that I think carries us through the second cycle. <clears throat> well, it looks like in my cursory um, study of this, that one of its alternative titles was Revenge of the Vampire. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, in the UK, it was released as Revenge of the Vampire. Ooh. So there you go. You were on that. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, and I think... Oh, sorry. Go no, on. go... I had nothing to say. Oh, <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I feel like I see this a lot in... Um, the films of this time, uh, another... Oh, it was a Gogol story. Oh my God, it's based on V. I love V. Shut up. Yeah. I'm learning things. You, you have to watch it. It's really good. Oh, man. Um, v Bar- is a vampire, so that checks out. And Barbara Steele is... She Ooh. plays... You know, not it's not V in the movie. Yeah. Um, she plays Asia, yeah. is the name of the witch. Um, and Barbara Steele, for those of you who are listening that don't know, is a very famous, uh, screen queen from the sixties and seventies. Um, and, and anyway, at any rate, um, so I think Black Sunday sort of kicked that off and I think it was very much continued in another huge, uh, um, witchcraft film from the sixties, which is, uh, Witchfinder General. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
or uh, Witchfinder General, the Conqueror Worm, the, which is the long. Let's just I- throw all the possible <laughs> gothic mm-hmm. connotations we can. Uh, so, so Witchfinder General, if you don't know, listeners, um, and it is kind of a hidden gem for horror fans. Vincent Price is a yes, secret. <laughs> oh, Vincent Price. My love for him is just... You know they're, they're thinking about remaking this. Are they really? Yeah. Um, Nicholas mm. Winding. Rain. Rain. Mm. Drive. Mm. Oh, I do like Drive. Yeah. Mm. He has the rights to it. I don't know if he's actually doing it, but... Yeah, but the question is, who plays Matthew Hopkins, you know? Yeah, well, that's always my question well, when I think about these things. So, <laughs> so, Witchfinder General is the story of Matthew Hopkins. Matthew Hopkins was a real-life person. He lived in the 1600s, the mid-1600s. There is a Netflix who, documentary about him that you should really? all watch. Yes, I have to see what it was called and if it is still on Netflix. So you talk while I do that. <laughs> I would like to see that. Um, and Matthew Hopkins, short version. Uh, yes. Witches a Century of Murder. What's it called? Witches a Century of Murder. It's a Witches two-part a documentary about um, the witchcraft scare in Europe and witch hunting and his witch and his self-proclaimed witch hunter generalness. Ooh, I like it. Basically leading up right in where it ends is right before the Salem witchcraft Salem. stuff nice. starts. Nice. That's, yeah, it's really good. So that's actually kind of really perfect. Like this documentary would probably be really good. Um, Matthew Hopkins was a man, like I said, living in the mid 1600s who became obsessed with the idea of witches in England. It was during the, uh, the throes of the English civil war, which, um, has a lot of factors that go into the civil war. And there's a lot of layers and undercurrents there, but one of the big conflicts was a conflict of religion. Um, traditional Catholicism versus the Church of England versus the new sort of puritanical um, uh, style of religion. That's literally where we get Puritans from. And so Matthew Hopkins, through a series of events, he took it upon himself to hunt down and expose the witches that were um, corrupting England. And he eventually styles himself as a witch finder general and says he has all these authorities from the new parliamentary government. Um, cause this is during the, um, what they call the interregnum, uh, between, uh, monarchs. Nobody uh, can pull receipts on this. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was lying. Um, and many, many, many thousands of, uh, of women, um, and some men were, uh, persecuted and tortured and arrested and executed under his so-called reign as the Witchfinder general. And the panic that he created and stirred up in the UK uh, spread to Europe. And then eventually by the end of the 1600s across the sea to the colonies. And of course, what we're all very familiar as the Salem witch trials. Um, But now the film uh, Which friend or general? 1968, as Miss Mel said, stars Vincent Price. Um, and Please. if you don't know about him, I get off really, this podcast. I really need you to leave the podcast. <laughs> um, I more or less consider him a god. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Miss Mel is a I fan of his too. Deified him. 
<laughs> yeah. He, if you go to our Patreon page, he is the cover photo. <laughs> I think he was the cover photo on the Twitter for a bit, too. Shh. It's just that look that he gives. It's that look. It's his amazing voice. Anyway. Um, and so I think Witchfinder General is very much about, like, is very much about revenge, right? Mm-hmm. And the corrupt social order coming, you know, this, the witch finder, he comes into town, he tortures these confessions of witchcraft out of people. Um, it's sort of a good companion, I think, to Black Sunday, if only because of the setting in the 1600s mm-hmm. and the themes of extreme violence and torture and what have you. Um, and I think... It like I feel like Witchfinder General is the first horror movie we get where it's like, well, if there are witches, like what does that mean about society's ills? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that. Yeah. Sense. Um. You know, so like, you know, where Haxon has, you know, the cultural and religious history of witches, this is like one of the earlier historical attempts, right? Like, this is a real guy. Like I said, there is a documentary about him on Netflix, a two-part documentary, Mm -hmm. as narrated by a lovely British woman um, that talks about basically, Uh yeah, um, that talks about, you know, basically how this happened and like all the witch crazes that went across Europe leading to this point and how this directly causes, not causes, but is a direct influence on um, what will eventually become the Salem witch trials. Um, And it's interesting, you know, 1968 when this came out, because it's like, you know, it is about persecution. It is about revenge. It is about just a manic society. Um, So it's like, you know... Is it putting a mirror to these things? Is it meant to be? Is it doing it without meaning to in our retrospective lens? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, we read The Crucible. We know Arthur Miller was very specifically trying to put a mirror up to McCarthyism. You know, he said as much. That was obvious. This is its a little bit more nuanced. Like, what is trying to be conveyed about society at the time or society, Western society in general, um, in response to the things that go on in the film. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's for the time it came out, it was, you know, it was a gruesome film. There was executions Mm -hmm. and attacks and, horrible things and rapes and all that stuff. Um, You know, and it was subject to censorship as all things are at some point, I suppose, but um, it wasn't as, you know, um, I don't even want to say it wasn't as thought provoking because I think I don't want to compare it to anything, but it's, you know, it's, it's more of a straight, historical approach to kind of similar things that Haxon was saying. In a more yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's an interesting way to connect it back. Yeah. Because it does take that very historical approach. Yeah. More, obviously more so than Black Sunday. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, and you know, it's a good thing to probably watch in conjunction with that documentary. I want to say that documentary came out in 2016. Um, and gives I'm you gonna look at that. It sounds really good. Some historical Matthew Hopkins. Um, but yeah, no, it's ridiculous. He was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> he was ridiculous. But yeah, so like you said, though, that was the first time it kind of comes back into popular consciousness mm-hmm. post well, Black Sunday in this post um, Wizard of Oz. Like, and I think these films in particular and maybe a couple other from the 60s, like um, Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm. uh, and a couple others. I think this is what like helps cement what is even now like the current perception of the occult in cinema, not necessarily outside of film, but yeah. inside of film, how it's portrayed. Yeah. I think that that base that happens in the sixties. Um, and in the seventies, we kind of start to expand that a little bit. Um, there's probably a couple from the seventies worth talking about, but, Maybe if we just touch briefly on Suspiria, yes, that'll probably be pretty good because it's probably the most prolific, the most um, well, the most well known. A lot. I mean, um, Suspiria is a nineteen seventy seven uh, horror film by Dario Argenta, another Italian master of horror. Um, Great director uh, concerning a uh, girl who um, goes to a boarding a boarding school and uh, strange things start happening. Her fellow students around her start dying. It's sort of like slasher meets witches because as she starts investigating and digging into the darkness around her, she eventually uncovers that, yeah, people are being murdered by some straight-up witches. Yeah. <laughs> some straight-up witches. Uh, Have we not all experienced that in boarding school? <laughs> right? And this, I think, continues a theme that gets established in Rosemary's Baby of, like, the secret coven, right? Mm-hmm. And the secret coven being exposed and how much influence and power does the secret coven have? Mm -hmm. And I feel like Suspiria is kind of the first film where we see this happening hardcore. um, And that helps transition us into the 80s and beyond um, all the way up to even American Horror Story Coven. Yeah. Yeah, if you're thinking about watching this or Coven, I'd say watch this. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Um, Suspiria is being remade. It is. Currently, right now. It just so finished, be, actually, I think. So that should be very interesting. Suspiria recently. Is, is pretty scary. I will yeah. admit. Yeah. It's scary. It comes out... What does it come out? Does oh, do they have a date for the remake? They fall 2018. So it should be coming out somewhat soon. Um... Planned release on on Amazon. It looks. Oh like. wow! Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
okay, I might be making this up, but is Andre Muschietti doing it? The director of It? Um, no, it is Luca. Oh, that's Luca Guadagnino. Yeah, who directed Call Me by Your Name? Yes. <laughs> is doing this. <laughs> is doing this is very weird. And okay. shocker, <laughs> Tilda Swinton is in it. <laughs> oh my god. She's gonna be the matron of the She's ballet. She's Blanc. Oh my god! I knew it. I just said it. I know. Incredible. Um. So yeah, my cousin still has my copy of Suspiria, and he claims that he doesn't, but I know that he does. But I know that he does. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah. So. Yeah, and so I think that idea, the secret coven, kind of moves us a lot through the 80s and even into the 90s, where I feel culturally everybody was like, now at this point we're very familiar with the idea of the witch. We are ready. (laughs) And in the 80s and 90s in particular, I think is where... Examining the witch becomes less reflexive, not less frightening necessarily, but maybe less reflective. And so we introduce a little bit of comedy, you know. We've got uh, Witches of Eastwick, mm-hmm. and we've What's got Hocus Pocus and um, the Witches. That was a scary movie yeah. as a child. Um, and uh, and uh, I don't know. What else from the 90s? Well, there's a big one, but I'm waiting until... No, I'm not there. Oh, Warlock. Yes. Um, and, so, and then this is like, now we're at the point, which happened a lot in the 90s in film in general, where we're starting to parody. We're starting to be self-reflexive rather than reflexive, which... If you don't know the difference, the internet is your friend. <laughs> uh, and this kind of all culminates, you know, Witches of Eastwick and Hocus Pocus and the Witches and Warlock and um, Pumpkinhead. All, <laughs> comes, all comes to a head in 1996 mm. with the release of a movie called the craft (laughs) if you don't know what the craft is you can gtfo and at this point i'm going to hand the reins over for probably a good couple minutes (laughs) to my lovely co-host i love the craft um there's actually in toronto there is a witch bar um i forget what it's it's called some version of hocus pocus but they do showings of like the craft and stuff like Friday night. Um, so yes, The Craft is a 1996 horror film. Uh, Mr. Craigers and I were talking about trying to figure out which was filmed first, this or Scream. I know. Because Neve Campbell and Ski Ulrich are in both. Yep. <laughs> but he looks very different across both. Um, I'm going to say Scream was possibly filmed first. but so I'm, I'm going to investigate while you, in, while I talk. you know, bring your listeners in. So the craft is like Mean Girls meets basically a witchcraft, essentially. Um, it is um, about a girl, Sarah, uh, as played by Robin Tooney, um, who 
is the new girl in school um you know like has kind of a somewhat disruptive home life like her dad Mm -hmm. is you know remarried um but she she makes friends with this group of kind of outcast girls um made up of like Fariza Balk and Neve Campbell and Rachel True um who are all like these kind of social outcasts they're kind of the dorks and the nerds um you know it's like what's their faces from Mean Girls I can't remember um but the rumor Janice is and Damien. Janice and Damien but the rumor is is that the the group is like they practice witchcraft like it's weird like the weird witch chicks uh in school which who didn't know um uh listen i well i can't get i can't get into it now (laughs) listen we all had you know the gothic strange witch people in school it happens um but basically um rumors are true they do practice witchcraft and sarah it turns out um after visiting a magic shop in town realizes that she has some kind of innate powers of her own and her presence amongst her new friends like completes the circle um of of their their coven right so like we're we're taking that idea of the coven and the secret coven that we were kind of introduced to in Suspiria and we're now in the 90s covening it up in high mm-hmm. school um and they start to test their powers um and it's the craft was filmed first. The craft was filmed first. That is yes. opposite to what I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, they start to test their powers. Sarah gets more kind of integrated in school. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy that she is going after. It's Skeet Ulrich. Um, you know, and all this other stuff. And, you know, it starts to build and get out of control as the girls get more powerful and they get more um, just sort of flagrant with their powers and they start to use them in ways that aren't so great and they're hurting people and Sarah starts to feel bad and um she starts voicing these concerns to them and they like kick her out of the coven because they're you know they're like oh you, you know get out um and it all culminates in a big battle between Sarah and um the other three basically over control of the power and the book and you know just all of it it's intense. It's mm-hmm. great. It's so high school, but with witchcraft. Um, but with witchcraft. And at the end, the obviously Sarah wins. Um, she gets to keep her powers, but the other three do not lose their powers um, because they have abused them. And Miss Mel and I both made a conscious effort to rewatch the craft yes. in anticipation of recording. Yes. Um, I had not. I probably had not watch the craft since high school when I just rewatched wow. it, you know, the other day. It's a long maybe time co- for maybe you. college. Maybe college. I enjoy the craft. Um so there was a there was a like there was a lot for me where I was just like, oh right. Oh right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um it's interesting because so the craft is obviously like many witch films has a cult following and i know saying that at this point kind of sounds like cliche and overused but it does it really has a cult following like you will see nights where like i said like bars or places will be like oh yeah we're showing the craft around halloween like and everyone's like oh yeah the craft remember that um 
But 1996, when The Craft comes out, it kind of is the thing that kickstarts the big 90s witchcraft neo-pagan craze. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, and you know, you'll see this a lot in a lot of commentary. People will point out that Charmed basically kind of like pilfered The Craft for its conception. Um, which, you know, I love Charmed. You know, I don't want to say people stole things from other people you know like art breeds more art yeah, for sure charmed was my shit when that was on yeah there's the remakes happening um gross but um you know like but you know art breeds more art so the craft comes out charmed follows not long after with someone using the same song using the same song as i am the sun i am the air <laughs> I am heaven and I need to be If you needed a rendition of the song to remember yeah, what it was. Yeah, they all did. They there all, was. every single one of um, them. But yeah. <laughs> they, every single one of them just turned us off. But, um, Charmed basically, you know, like uses a lot of elements of the craft, right? Because the craft is taking that idea of the coven, that idea of like secret sistership and all that stuff and putting it in the modern context. In a high school, you know, in cliques, in social anxieties and all this other stuff, it's kind of the first place where we take this kind of like ancient idea and this kind of ancient evil for many of our centuries and put it in a context that we recognize. Like here's high schoolers who practice witchcraft. Um, You know, and like I said, you know, it is very much like Mean Girls, if Mean Girls was about witches, like Mean Girls is basically doing the craft as a non-supernatural version. (laughs) You know what? You know what the craft is. It's Mean Girls uh, meets Heather's. Yes, I mean, but with a little it, less murder. Interestingly enough, because it was before Mean Girls, right? And it doesn't, and it has less <laughs> murder than Heather's. Um. <laughs> there is murder, but not as much. But like in a floating timeline, if Heather's and Mean Girls were to have a baby, that would, baby would be the craft. The craft. So it is best to view all these movies together. Basically, you should watch Heather's and the Craft and Mean Girls. Oh my God! In one night, we have we have to do that the next time we're all together. So as I was saying, we're going to be watching Heather's, the Craft, and Mean Girls. And, and two of those, two of those movies are now musicals. Yes. So Miss Mel and I just <laughs> we're over the moon. Um, imagine the craft as a musical. Oh my god! Ooh, um, that's that's yeah, that's the one that's missing. I guess it's up to us. Yeah. So we are now also writing a musical about the craft. We don't have the rights to do this. We don't have the rights to the craft, um, but we'll 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 make it happen. Yeah. Um, we'll probably get a very angry email from Faruja Balk. <laughs> she had some angry things so they were thinking about remaking the craft I think it might they be trapped were. in development hell from this point on though because Fruja Balk and all the fans were very unhappy about the idea of remaking the craft um, for Which many reasons fair. Yeah. well and there were rumors of a sequel for a long time Yeah, there was that- supposed to be a direct to video sequel that never happened um but I think it's good, right? Because it's yeah, just... it was it was going to focus on Nancy. Yeah, but it was just so like caught in time, right? Like it's such a contained story about you know a group of girls and about their friendship and about the falling out of their friendship and about you know these kind of crazy dynamics that you get between in in high school friendships and high school cliques even. 
um, without being like super over the top self-referential or stereotypical. And it's like the witchcraft just weaves into it so well. (laughs) And it's one of the first times, not necessarily the first time, but it's one of the first times where the witches are our heroes Mm-hmm. And magic is something that is, you know, kind of uh, phrased to be desirable, right? Yeah. At least, at least, in at least when we're looking at magic and horror, right? Yeah. You know, um, witchcraft and horror, which until this, until the sort of like late eighties, early nineties, and right now with the craft, is something that is connotated negatively yeah and of course there are negative uses of witchcraft in the craft but it's ultimately the good witch wins ultimately the good witch wins yeah and for what it's worth i mean you know the craft is by no means um (laughs) it isn't a perfect film (laughs) no but it is ridiculous in many in many parts it is very ridiculous but that does not negate it as an important film yeah. or an entertaining one. Um, you don't, you don't have to actually be a good movie to be an important movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, obviously this is, you know, like teeny bopper bubblegum horror. I know, love it. It's not meant to be super deep and psychological, but people have looked at it as a cultural milestone and a cultural sort of like, you know, pulse taker um because it's you know it's on the cusp of you know the next 10 years of media that focused on the supernatural and witchcraft that you know we're still very much in you know it's not to say the craft is responsible for the fact that like supernatural has 16 seasons but something like supernatural probably wouldn't happened if buffy hadn't happened if the craft hadn't happened if you know so on and so forth it all kind of bleeds into each other um, and the craft just happened to be at the forefront and just hit on, you know, things that people responded to, even if it was doing it comedically or even as a parody or even in a not great straightforward way, like, you know, where it lands in, in cultural history, you know, and makes it important. And you have to applaud the craft for willing to go dark. Yeah. Um, and for... Yeah, that last fight scene is brutal. Uh, well, it's brutal, and um, uh, we know that uh, th- there are themes of um, suicide throughout. Yeah. Um, Sarah has attempted once and failed, um, and a lot of the the um, climax hinges around... Um, yeah, trying to get her to... A framed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's why so much I think of uh, its connection to Heather's. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's um it did a lot more work than I think anybody in 1996 realized it was doing for horror and for witchcraft in horror. Yeah. Uh, no, I obviously I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's so funny because there's a lot we could talk about from the nineties, Hocus Pocus, which is of Eastwick, Pumpkinhead, but I feel like nothing quite captures that decade 
in terms of wishes like the craft. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about Charmed and Buffy, or do we feel like we... Um, so, okay, so Got Charmed's big that. thing, I guess, was just, it was all about witches are good, right? Like, yeah. the entire premise was that there are three witches who are sisters who are good witches, and the bad witches were the warlocks. Hallowells! <laughs> yes, indeed. And their secret fourth sister. <laughs> I can't, whatever. <laughs> Anyway, um, and you know, the bad people I'm gonna were- going to go on a rant about Shannon Doherty, which is going <laughs> to circle me back to Heather's, which is good. <laughs> and we're just going to be caught in a time loop. Yep. We're um, be caught- but yeah, so the witches and, you know, the witches together specifically was the important thing, right? It was three women who always kind of had Power to stick together um, for their magic to work and the prophecies to come true. And that in and of itself is kind of a huge deal when you lead into things, you know, like wicked and frozen and all this other shit about like family, female bonding. Yay. Thank Um, you. Thank you. Charmed. Um, Buffy, what it introduces about witchcraft is kind of like the weird, like subculture of like techno paganism. (laughs) That like still exists to this day a little bit. Um, but basically, witchcraft and Buffy very much uses the term witchcraft and Wicca interchangeably, like it establishes it as like a religious practice that people had in and people still have to this day. Um, you know, but beyond that, it doesn't really use any realistic aspects of Wicca. It just kind of name mm-hmm. drops shit. Um, which is, you know, it is what it is. People who practice Wicca can be offended by that or not offended by it. That's not really my lane. Um, and also the the witches in Buffy are super gay. I don't know if that's like a... That was a commentary on anything. It's just of the two <coughs> witches that we see in Buffy, they're in a relationship. So <laughs> I feel like there's a lot that's come out of that, though, right? Yeah. About witches in Wicca and a sort of like... Ooh, you know, pseudo lesbian. Yeah. Um, which you can take many readings on that are both good and bad. Exactly. Um, which is a bigger topic that we're not going to get into. No, we we just don't have the time. Um, yeah, but the the witchcraft in Buffy was more or less a plot device than anything else, um, and just kind of name dropped neo pagan terms mm-hmm. here and there. Yeah. But would not have existed. They were very the much a product of the first. times. Yeah. That the craft influences, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Um. But it also brings us to kind of like this current state of where we are. I feel like where nobody has a question of what a witch is anymore. Yeah. Everyone's or where, a witch. where a witch <laughs> comes from, or why, you know stories with witches uh you know what i mean yeah um we're not concerned with the mythology of the idea of the witch or the mythology of witches even in your own story we're not concerned with the mythology i think we're concerned with deconstructing the stereotype yeah um that was like established for us in cinema up through like the 70s kind of the 80s the 80s and 90s definitely start to deconstruct that stereotype and start deconstructing it now. Um, we're looking back, and I 
think as we move into the last phase of this discussion, going into a place where I think we're trying to make the witch feared again. Yeah. And I think that that started at the tail end of the millennium with the Blair Witch Project. Oh, that's going to be on another tangent. Don't get it. Go, my child. Go. Um, As you all know, I'm obsessed with the Blair Witch Project. Um, If you don't like it, you can leave. Um, It's it's exactly circle back to the Vincent Price. Vincent Price. If you don't know who he is, if you don't like Blair Witch Project, please leave our show. Yeah, Blair Witch Project gets a lot of flack. No, just kidding, you guys. If you don't like them, just email us and tell us why. We'll have a discussion. We'll have a dialogue. Uh, Blair Witch Project gets a lot of kind of like, it's the subject of a lot of parodies, a lot of jokes. It gets a lot of flack, um, mainly because like kind of like Haxon, people really weren't sure what it was when it came out because it built itself as a true story, a true documentary. Like it was the first viral marketing ever of a film. And it did it in such a way where it was trying to portray itself as, you know. A true story that happened and true footage of teenagers dying and that's why I think people kind of look at it um, a bit cr- not even critically just the wrong way <laughs> not to say that your subjective reading of anything is wrong but like your reading of the aura surrounding this film might be a little bit misguided because of the aging that has happened to the um, marketing of it but it deals with as you might imagine, a legend of a witch. Um, in Blair County, Maryland, which is like a fake place, don't go looking for it. Um, Burkitt's it? County. Burkitt's County. Not it's yeah. this town of Blair in Burkitt's County. Yes, in Burkitt's County. Um, basically, this group of our main characters are going to like do a documentary about this legend of this witch. And as they're interviewing people, they hear these stories about um, the most like the most prominent of the stories they get is from this crazy old lady who lives down the lane because of course um who talks about um the Blair Witch being this creature that lives in the forest with like who's covered in fur and um talks about these stories about these hunters who get or these fishermen who get lost in the woods um and are taken to this this thing called coffins rock where they're all tied together um and um basically you know ritualistically killed um and all these other things and um you get these stories about um children being stolen which is like you know this huge this huge kind of ancient thing i suppose with witchcraft is like the child stealing so yeah, like the the idea of like child napping and that sort of thing goes back to like the witch in Hansel and Gretel who steals them is going to eat them yada yada. So you've got this Blair Witch who's stealing kids through this this avatar type person um, that she is possessing this 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 dude who lives in the woods who steals mm-hmm. two children. Um, it's always two, and he takes them back to his cabin. He makes one stare at the wall while he kills the other one. Like it's like super effed up. Um, but this, this group goes into the woods, um, and they are beset by some sort of supernatural force in the woods. Um, they get lost, their things get stolen, um, there are tied together, like, wooden stick figures that are, like, 
covering their campsites and stacked rocks and you know all this stuff is very benign but obviously very threatening um they hear sounds in the night um you know and they start to believe that you know there's something going on in in the woods there's something with the Blair Witch um and it just and you never see her you never know if it's truly something supernatural or they've just gotten lost and scared and um you know gone crazy essentially um in doing that obviously the sequel that we will not name both takes, of them takes both of well yeah so yeah both of them takes this and <laughs> runs with it in a direction it probably shouldn't have um but yeah so like mr Kreger said like it takes the idea of the witch and it makes it scary it makes it the supernatural mm-hmm. force of nature um that it it has been in the past and you know it probably conceptualizes what a witch would feel like back in the day in the best way yeah. possible Ooh, nowadays yeah. right like we think of a witch and we think of the hats and the brooms but it's like no this is what a witch would have felt like to somebody in 1790 that's so perfect i'm gonna have to like te- explore that a lot in my mm-hmm. post but no you're right because i think it's exactly like kind of how it would have been, right? Because mm-hmm. we've got, we get the old folklore, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the folktale about the witch, we're meant to fear it. And then um, we, what's most successful about the Blair Witch Project is um, that we only see certain pieces, right? Yeah. We get enough details that we can put together the storyline and maybe figure out the creepy things, but that's it. Um, and so I think what you've been talking about is that the Blair Witch Project like remystified the witch, the figure yeah. of the witch. Um, and because up until that point, the witch had been so um, commonplace and uh, the witch was no longer threatening. Um, the witch was uh, either something satirical or something we wanted to be, uh, you know, thinking of Hocus Pocus and the craft, respectively. And I think Blair Witch Project is when the figure of the witch was once more, like, re-injected with fear. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, like, that's, like, it was trying to make such a terror out of this thing that up until this point, you know, the few years previous had been like an object of like high school bubblegum horror and you know um you know popular television series and you know like Buffy with the pseudo satire horror comedy you know it was this very benign thing and now all of a sudden it's a it's a Mm -hmm. force of nature again and it's scary and you're like oh yeah no I can see how this would have been a horrifying thing to, to people back in the day um, but it's interesting because it's like you never do see the Blair Witch and thinking no. about it like that part of the story is kind of not the part that people talk about like people always talk about its place in filmmaking and how it was filmed and never really about that aspect of it and its place in witch film witch culture but we are yeah here we are <laughs> the only people talking about it are us <laughs> the only people um, and I think Blair Witch Project is what jettisons, jettisons us into the final phase of the witch in film, and that's the current phase, um, where the past 
uh, whatever, uh, 19 years or so, um, have been banking off of Blair Witch Project in a sense of refueling the witch's ammunition, right? Um, Where we're looking at the past and uh, we're, we're being a bit more sophisticated in storytelling about witches. We're using a bit more resources. We're going a bit deeper. Um, and the witch is becoming popularized again. Uh, Harry Potter is mm-hmm. a big factor of that. Obviously, we're not going to look at that because it's not horror. But it's still a factor um, the season three of American Horror Story with the bitchcraft. The bitchcraft. Um, however you feel Surprise about that bitch. season. Um, but but also in film, um, you've got uh, The Woods. You have Drag Me to Hell. You have Lords of Salem. However you feel about Rob Zombie. Um. And what is that movie that Colleen secretly likes? The Covenant. The Covenant. It's the dude version of the craft. The dude version of the craft. And it's horrible. You have the Covenant. And they're all sort of subverting, but also paying respect to the staples of the witch movie while trying to... honor and continue reinvent maybe the what what Blair Witch Project started um with the reflexivity and the self-reflexivity and the return to fear and uh you even had the paranormal activity franchise was doing that yeah um, in in the end yeah Uh, by the sixth film yeah um of course, they don't market themselves as being about witches or about the occult, but they continually reference witchcraft, and yeah. that eventually becomes part of the larger narrative. Um, and I think all of that leads us up to the most recent and worthwhile film talking about in the history of witchcraft on screen, which is 2015's uh, The Witch. Yeah, super straightforward uh, title. By Robert Eggers, yes. <laughs> it is super straightforward. It's about what you imagine it to be about. And it terrified people. Yeah, no, it was very it was very scary. I saw it in theaters almost all by myself. You had one of those people who came in at the end. Um, I saw it by myself. I wasn't, I mean, I, I went alone. I, I was yeah. in it with other people. Um, but yeah, basically, it is a colonial witch story about a family that is... Which I think witch. is interesting because now the witch story has cycled back to the setting that Black Sunday and Witchfinder General used. Yeah. And, you know, for America, Americans, people in North America, kind of the cultural beginnings of, of witchcraft in yes. for European settlers and their yeah. descendants... Um, I thought it was really interesting. It's about a family that is exercised from their their colony, um, basically because of religious practices. Like, I don't know, something like about the dad preaching the Bible at home, and who the fuck? Yeah. I don't know. It was some super asinine Puritan <laughs> thing that they get exercised for. Um, so they are cast out. They're basically like the super Puritans. Yes. 
are- and the regular Puritans are like, y'all are a bit too intense for us. Yeah. So this family, a mom and dad, a eldest daughter, a next eldest son, two fraternal twins, and a new baby are cast out of the colony and forced to live on their own in the wilderness. Um, where they do, they build a home and they build a farm and they've got a life going. Um, but there's like the kids play this game about this rumor of a witch in the wood and they kind of joke about it. Um, but then one day the baby is stolen. Um, basically right out from under the face of the eldest daughter in the span of like five seconds. The baby is just snatched. Um, and, you know, we don't know what happened. Like, climbing in your windows. <laughs> your farm babies up. Um, you know, we do... The film makes it clear that there is somebody in the woods, you know, but it doesn't make it clear if there's anything really supernatural going on. Um, you know, the baby is killed in either... You know, it's killed in some kind of sacrifice, whether it was an actual supernatural sacrifice or it's just somebody who thought that they were doing, you know, some sort of witchcraft. Um but the family blames the daughter is the important thing here is that, you know, the baby gets stolen by whoever steals it, whether it's, you know, a crazy woods person or an actual witch. Um, and the girl gets basically scapegoated. The mother, who is played by <laughs> the greatest um, fantasy depiction of a mother ever. Oh! <laughs> Lysa Tully. Lysa Tully. Um, and you know what's funny is the only reason I recognized her because I was like, who the fuck is that? I didn't recognize her until the breastfeeding scene, and then I was like, that's Liza Tully. Uh, Kate Dickey. Kate Dickey. Um, the plays actress. the mother. She does yeah, such a good in, job. Um, um, she's in Prometheus. She and- is. She plays yeah, a and, pretty good character uh, in Prometheus. She's just a good actress. I like her a lot. Yeah, and she's um, she's also a member of the First Order in uh, Last Jedi. She is. There's a lot of um, Game of Thrones cameos throughout the most recent Star Wars films. No, you're you're not wrong. Um, and Miss Miss Mills, right? She she is a good actress. I um, spotted Jen Jen um, in uh, Force Jojen. Awakens, Jojen. Yeah, yeah, Um, but anyway, so she plays the mom, and basically they blame the oldest daughter. You know, they say that she's and there's actually this really interesting moment that happens earlier in the film, where the boy who's probably like he's meant to be about like three years younger than his sister, like she's like maybe like fourteen, he's maybe like twelve-ish, something like that. And there's this interesting scene where they're up playing together, and they're by a creek, and the the brother like it's super gross but the brother like ogles his sister kind of um right and he's you know ashamed about it later but it, it, it prefaces the scene where she's blamed about you know the baby getting snatched and it's just like such a subtle silent just complete commentary on so many things so many things at once um yeah and basically things escalate the brother goes missing um mm-hmm in the woods um the two twins are a couple of little shits and start you know playing games and then when the games kind of get out of hand they blame their sister in a scene that's basically right out of the crucible 
Mm -hmm. Um, and the mom is freaking out and the dad is freaking out and they, you know, this is a time when you accept someone pointing at someone and saying that's a witch. (laughs) I saw a yellow bird suck on a finger. Yes, exactly. Um, and they turn on their daughter and, you know, because they can't control their environment. Um, and, you know, they blame the daughter and ultimately, um, everyone dies. Um, the daughter defends herself, the family freaks out, everyone gets killed essentially, except for the daughter who, um, is then approached at the end. And, you know, this is the one time when you get close to it being supernatural or not, but you could also say, you know, it's in the daughter's head. But do you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically she's approached by this figure who asks, (laughs) who's got this great little bit where he's, he asks her, if what how does it he's like dust thou he says, desire dost thou wish to live deliciously deliciously um and she a truly her. amazing cinematic quote it is um and she signs her name in his book and dances naked around the fire at the end um or does she or does she yeah so that's the thing is this movie never makes it clear whether it's just paranoia in the woods or whether it's an actual supernatural event. Uh, and if people and thinking you guys it is know enough. how much Miss Mel and I love ambiguity in our horror films. Yeah. Um, and this is just a movie that a, like Mr. Carter says, gets us back to what makes witches scary, but also gets us back to kind of the cultural beginnings of these things. And the fact that we just started because you know, people wanted to blame women for things. I mean, obviously, many people were accused and, and convicted of being a witch, men included. But if you look at, like, the signs of witchcraft, it, literally there was one that said a woman who who is humorous, like a woman who can tell a joke, is a sign is a of a witch. And it's like, well, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And... What I think is so interesting about the witch is not only that it takes us back to the setting that was utilized in the 60s with Witchfinder General and Black Sunday, but that it's going back to even the themes that you were kind of just talking about now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like madness, right? The idea of madness, the yeah. idea of religious hysteria and the connection to witchcraft. It's all sort of very primal where it was just like the idea of the witch itself is enough to haunt the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I kind of, I really, I'm excited that we're back in that place. Yeah. Because you never really see this witch. Like you see an outline of, of, of her at one point, this person that they think is in the woods, um, briefly, but that's it. Like all of it is just, they're telling you, there's like, Oh, there's a witch in the wood and I'll, you know, I'll get, you know, they're playing games with each other basically Mm -hmm. um and but then all of a sudden these things start happening and kids go missing and you know it's like well this is horrifying because you have nothing to to place that fear on you've got no target and you know they're in the middle of the wilderness they're backed up to the woods they're far from from civilization um and the whole thing is just very disorienting and very terrifying Mm -hmm. i'm an excellent movie yeah no, the book is very good. And, you know, who doesn't like to quote Black Philip? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I've i done that to you randomly. Yeah. <laughs> just 
texted me at three in the morning. Dost thou wish to live deliciously? It's one of those inadvertently funny things. It's one of my favorite lines from a horror movie. It's so good. It is. Um, and it, and it still keeps the ambiguity because we, the viewer, do not actually see Black Phillip say it. Yeah, basically, it's meant to be. We're Satan, focused, right? We see we see Thomason's face, and she hears it. Yeah. So you can go with the thing: is the goat, aka Satan, actually talking to her, or is she talking to herself? Yeah. Does she hear that in her mind? And it's brilliant. Yeah, because the last sequence of it is just kind of like this super LSD, like, exactly just complete trip of a scene where she's, like, naked and she walks up to this, you know, giant bonfire where all these other naked women are and they just start floating in the air, like, crazy flailing in the air. Like, it's just so trippy and crazy where it's, like, on the one hand, it's like, holy shit, but then on the other hand, it's also, like is this just the cultural idea of how Thomason and ourselves would imagine this scene? Like imagine is she it, yeah. picturing the, like, you know, what it's supposed to look like. Is it actually and because happening? she's been through a trauma at this point. Yeah. She's watched her entire family get slaughtered. Right. And you know, like because of their isolation, we're led to believe many times throughout the film, that the family's very unhinged mentally. Yeah. Um, so we, we don't know. Um, whether what sh- what we're seeing as the viewer is what actually happened, and it's brilliant. Yeah, no, it's such a great movie. Um, even beyond just the scope of a witchcraft film. And 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 let's let's be clear though, like even if you do make just a witchcraft film, like good for fucking you. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, good for fucking you. Um, yeah, no, yeah, this is definitely probably the best one for me since. I mean, Blair Witch. Like, I wouldn't think off the top of my head as a witchcraft film. In the sense that I would think of the witch, so I might think of it as like the best one for me since like the craft. But like, yeah, the best yeah. one for me basically since that '90s revival of witchcraft. Yeah, the witch is it's really good. And it is this is such an interesting subgenre because it's like do you separate witchcraft films from like occult films? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 what does that mean and um what exactly makes a witchcraft film? So we might be a little loose. Yeah. In our on our definition and if you guys listening have a different definition or you don't think we should have included some films we did or if we missed some films that you think we should be talking about please let us know yeah. um this is sort of just our take on things um and since the witch which was released 2015 two and yeah 2015 uh, it was like the later half i think it was Feb- well. I saw it in February. I don't know when it came. Oh, out. Oh, was it early twenty fifteen? Yeah, never mind. I saw it in in February. Forget that then. So yeah, so three years ago. Um, and there's there's definitely been necessarily in the mainstream, but if in the indie world and sort of like VOD, you can see the witch's influence in a lot of horror films mm-hmm. in the last three years, which is great. Um. And it'd be curious to see sort of um, where we go as we're getting closer uh, to the next decade. Um, horror is, is very interesting in that its themes are 
are very um, chartable and mappable, like decade by decade. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because as we've said many a times, you can you can take the pulse of a society based on what kind of horror films came out yep. uh, in any given decade. More than any other genre. Yeah. You want to know really what was going on? Look at that time period's horror films. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're also historians um, on the side. <laughs> Uh, is what we're getting at. But, yeah, I mean, um, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. I think we are past, for the most part, although they are trying to revive Charmed, we are past, for the most part, the kind of 90s um, idea of, like, the social coven and um, the urban modern witch and that sort of thing. Um, That's not the stories that people need anymore at this point, I feel like. Exactly. Um, and there's a lot of things that were going on in the 90s with feminism and the the rise of women in workforce that played into that. This is, you know, a very different time period. Um, you know, and that's what's nice about the idea of the witch and all the ways that witches have been persecuted. I mean, obviously, that's not nice, but, like, the fact that there's so many ways you can look at it and apply it to various types of things that are going on in society. Um you know, and I think a lot of people can see themselves, you know, men, women, um, no matter your gender, you can look at a witch and kind of see yourself just because, you know, mm-hmm. it is this persecuted entity persecuted in many different ways throughout the centuries and seen as so many different things. So I think that's why we've kind of, you know, had a sticking point here with like neo-paganism and people who do truly identify you know, spiritually as witches, just because, you know, that is culturally, spiritually what sticks for them. The fact that you've got so much more witch media now since the 90s um, than we've basically ever had. I'd say the majority of witch media that's come out has come out since, like, 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been quite the resurgence. Yeah. In the last uh, 20 years. Yeah, there's definitely a cluster of all witch media coming out in the past two decades mm-hmm. um, and it's yeah and it'll be curious to see like is, is that going to continue or like are we kind of gonna are we gonna fall off it maybe a little bit because th- that's the thing about witches that with films. It, it's the cycle you know yeah it's it's the witch is not a constant figure so it'll be very curious to see what happens next yeah yeah i can't really tell where we're gonna be because I, I feel like we were kind of in a lull before the witch, like I feel like after Blair Witch, there really wasn't too much going on. Yeah, not so much. Um, and then uh, the witch came out, so much. and that was kind of one of the that was the big like, oh yeah, witches, man. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when the witch came out, so it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Yeah. Now, where we are going to go <laughs> from here is anybody's guess, yes. because you know Miss Mel and I, we, we plan a little, but we don't plan extensively. Um, in terms of the next episode, we can't say what's coming at you next, but of course it will be gorgeous, Hattie. Mm-hmm. Um, Miss Mel, would you be so kind if we are ready? Yes to tell our lovely listeners where they can find us and talk to us about all things witchy all right. on social media. Well, they can tweet us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels if that's 
too terribly difficult for you, you can just search Splatter Chatter 666. We're the first thing that pops up. You can go on Instagram at Splatter Chatter 666 as well. Um, that time you have all the bows. You can t see a look at a lot of my pop figures have been making it onto the Instagram. <laughs> oh, yes, Mama. There is spooks on there and spooky pictures. Um, splatterchatter.tumblr.com is the blog. Splatterchatter666.blogspot.com is Craig's blog, which you'll want to check out. As he mentioned, he's going to be doing some fun things on there. Indirect response to this episode, depending on when you're listening to it, it might have already happened. Um, and you can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. And yeah. Mr. Kriggers will tell you all about our Patreon. I sure will. The Patreon page, you guys, it is new and it is live. You can find it at patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. At that site, you will be able to discover uh, a bit about the show. You will discover some stuff about Miss Mel and I, things that we're working on, our relationship to horror, why we wanted to start this podcast, what we're doing with this podcast, and why we feel that we want to have a Patreon and why we would love for you guys to become donors. Now, you can become a donor to the show by pledging a one, five or $10 donation a month, uh, depending on your contribution level, you will get various rewards and perks, including a subscription to the Howler newsletter, which is the new official splatter chatter monthly newsletter where Miss Mel and I will give you our horror picks of the month in film, television, and literature, as well as additional horror headlines and our book club selection. Mm -hmm. You could also become a, uh, a horror Q&A perk subscriber, which will allow you to submit a question to the show that Miss Mel and I will answer at the top of the next episode. Or you can become a show programmer in which you could get to pick the topic of an entire episode that Miss Mel and I will cover. There are some caveats to that. Head on <laughs> over to patreon.com slash splatterchatter666 to learn all about that. Um, we're really hoping to use the donations that you guys provide to us to, one, uh, buy some uh, uh, professional equipment, professional mm -hmm. recording equipment. Two, to go see the latest horror uh, films in theaters so we can review them to you guys. And three, so that we can eventually get ourselves to a horror con. And get yes. ourselves invested in the horror community that we are a part of and that you are a part of and that we all want to have this dialogue around together. Yes. All those things. All of those things. Now, like I said, we're not sure exactly what we're going to be coming at you with next, but we will be back in two weeks. And until that point, guys... Get your witch on. Mm -hmm. Be sure to keep up the creep. And we will say, for now, au revoir, adios, and das Vida.